Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to get right into this and I want to unpack um, really some questions. These questions are going to lead to a question. And this question is going to hopefully clarify for you a very important topic for us as believers, for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, first, I want to do this. Ladies, I want to let you in on a little bit of a secret about us men. Are y'all ready for that? We're jacked up. That's just, and I know that for most of the ladies in here, that is no revelation to you. But the way that men think is completely different than the way that you think. Now, let me, let me give you a very good example of that. For men, there's a question that we like to ask one another upon meeting each other. After we get the insignificant stuff out of the way, like, what's your name? Like, we don't care about that. We're not going to remember it anyway. But we ask that person, another man especially, this question. Man, what is that question? What do you do? Now, that may seem like a very simple question at face value, but let me tell you what we're doing. When we ask, what do you do? We're asking, how do I categorize you? How do I compare myself to you? How do I benefit from you and how can I be a benefit to you? What are the commonalities that we have? How can we relate? And if we're really screwed up, am I better than you? It's the real question. Am I better than you? Are you better than me? I just need to know that upon our question. So what do you do? Okay, got it. I know how to judge you. Now, ladies, there's a lot in that question, what do you do? And before you start judging us because we do that, you judge other women before you've had a single conversation with them. You see them and you've judged them. So don't get all holier than thou in this Sunday morning message. That may be a question that we ask one another, but there's a question that many people across the world ask themselves even on a daily basis. There are millions of people, more than likely millions of people today, have this question on their mind, and that's this. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? Now, when we ask that question, we're asking, why am I here? Why do I exist? What difference am I making? What's my life significance? It's a lot in that question. What's my purpose? It's a massive question. And from generation to generation to generation, people have asked themselves that very question. Some of you have maybe even asked yourself that question even today. But for the Christian, we take that question and we change it around a little bit. And we, for the believer, we don't necessarily have to ask ourselves the question, what's my purpose? We like to ask this question, what's my calling? What is my calling? Now, you may be saying, Pastor, what's the difference? Is that just semantics? No, there's a, there's a very big difference. Because when the world asks itself that question, what's my purpose? And listen, when I say the world, what I mean is people who aren't the church, people who aren't born again people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, when they ask themselves the question, what's my purpose? What they're asking is, 
What's, what's the meaning of my life? What's, what's significant about my life? But what is significant about my life apart from my creator? See, we, we're, we're, the world, excuse me, is asking itself that question and is doing it devoid of the God and the creator and the giver of life. So it's looking for meaning apart from the giver of that meaning. Now for the church, we say, what is my calling? Why do we do that? Because we recognize that our purpose comes from him. And you cannot, don't miss this, you cannot have a calling without a caller. So he's the one who speaks and gives our lives meaning. He's the one that places a direction or a path on our life that we follow, that we somehow find our significance in this world because of how he's created us. Now, ladies, again, just to show you how messed up we are, we don't like reading instruction manuals. Men, don't leave me out here on this stage by myself. I will gladly watch a 30-minute tutorial on YouTube before I read a five-minute instruction Come on. manual. Come on. And all God's men said, amen. All right. But the point of an instruction manual, it comes from the creator. The creator is telling you what the meaning and the purpose and design is of the thing that you're trying to use. God's word is the same thing in our lives. He knows why he created you. So when he puts a calling on you, it's a calling that he wants us to follow because we were designed to follow it. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper with this. I want you to ask yourself this very important question. I'm going to give you a moment to do it. What is my primary calling? I want you to ponder that for a moment. What is my primary calling? Now, as you're thinking about it, I can guarantee you, I know some of your answers. I want to be a good husband. That's my first calling. I want to be a good wife. That's my first calling. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. I want to wake up in the morning and not kill my children. I want to be a good business owner. I want to lead in an ethical manner, being an example for Jesus to them. I want to make an impact in my community. All good things. I want to change my family tree. My family line has lived this way. Now I want to do things differently and change the course and the direction of my family. I want to be a generous giver. I want to give generously and make an impact with the resources that God has given me. All good things. I lead a a group of young leaders once a month have a mentorship group with them, many of them with a call of God on their life. And I asked them the same question, what's your primary calling? And they said things like, I want to help the next generation. I want to help younger people. I feel like in this season, my primary calling is to focus on my job. We would all there, there, we would, most of us in this room would recognize a season like that, right? This is my primary calling in this season is to focus on my job. Or I want to bring justice in our communities, right? I'm, I'm a justice fighter. That's what I feel like is my primary calling. All of those answers are great. And all of those answers are wrong. And I know you feel like I just set you up. I did. I learned this from Pastor Jacob. He says, my job is to set the trap. Your job is to take the bait. 
all of those things, as amazing as they are, as incredible as they are, as impactful as they are, none of them are your primary calling in life. None of them. As a matter of fact, I want to give you an example this morning of two men who heard the primary calling of God on their life. And it's not relegated just to the the men in this story, the men in this book, in this Bible. It's for every single person in this room. Now, in order to do it, let me give you a little bit of background. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Okay, so Jesus has grown up, right? He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's gone through the the testing in the wilderness, the, the 40 days in the desert. He's gone through that. And he's getting ready to launch his ministry. And the first thing that Jesus does is he starts building his team. He starts building, getting the right people around him to do something that's very important to our church. And it's something that hopefully you hear us talk about a whole lot, discipleship. He starts gathering the men that he's going to disciple. That's the scene in which I'm getting ready to unpack. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, this is what it says. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Now let me pause there for a moment. Because many scholars believe that in biblical times, in the New Testament, that when a young man had a job, his occupation was more than likely the exact same occupation that his father had. So these men were fishermen because their dad was more than likely a fisherman. And his dad was more than likely a fisherman. And his dad was more than likely a fisherman. You get the point. So there were certain expectations that came upon their life simply because of who they were. There was a family expectation on them that you're going to be a fisherman. Why? Because your dad is. Right? And so many of us, we do the same thing. We allow the expectations from other people or our society or our culture to dictate to us who we're supposed to be. Let me give you a very practical, simple example of that. Some of you, the moment you started coming to this church... You got resistance from your family. Why? Because we go to that church. Right? We don't go to that church. We go to this church. What do you mean you're going to our Savior's church? We're Catholic. Doesn't matter if God impacts at your life or did something significant in your life. No, we don't do that. We do this. Or let me get all up in y'all's business for a little while. What are you going to our Savior's church for? We go to the black church. This is what we do. If y'all are uncomfortable, that's okay. I'm not. I'm very comfortable up here. (laughs) This is just what we do. It doesn't matter if here is the place that God is impacting your life and you feel closer to Jesus than than you've ever been. No, 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 no. But the expectation is that you do this. Expectations are great until Jesus crosses them and changes everything. And he will do that. Let me give you some unholy scenarios. Based on your last name, there's expectations. I'm a Boudreaux. We get drunk. That's what we do. Why? I just told you. I'm a Boudreaux. (laughs) Or I'm an Arsenal. We sleep around. 
My dad did. His dad did. His dad did. This is just what the Arsenals do. Don't even get me started on the Terrios. Right? And there's certain things that we build our life based on the expectations around us. And honestly, that's where I believe these men found themselves. Living their life, doing what everybody expected of them. They were good little Jewish boys. They grew up learning the Torah more than likely. They were fishermen. This was their trade. This is what they did. This is what life looked like until Jesus showed up and changed everything with this one simple call. Verse 17. Jesus called out to them. Don't miss that. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. There's so much there to unpack, church. They're living their life, doing what they're, quote-unquote, supposed to, doing what everyone expects of them. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and changes it all. How many of you remember the moment Jesus showed up in your life and changed it all? Changed it all. Never forget that. Never forget that moment. Now, in this text, we see two callings. We see the primary calling and a secondary calling. And I'm not going to spend much time on the secondary calling. I want to focus in on the primary calling. Because we often think that the primary calling is all the stuff that we do for God. But it's not. We often think the primary calling is the, the stuff that we're becoming or the stuff that we're doing for everyone else. That is not the primary calling. That's the secondary calling. The very first calling is simple. Come and follow me. That is the call, the call of God on every person in this room. Come and follow me. That's why when people don't follow that calling, that's why people can show up to church week after week after week unchanged. Why? Because they're not following the calling. They think that checking the box off of the secondary calling is good enough. But you only get to the secondary calling because you followed the primary calling. You only do the stuff because you've obeyed the initial calling, which is Jesus saying, come and follow me. Are y'all with me this morning? Now, that's why you can go to work. That's why we think life is just this. Life is go to work, pay my bills, have a little free time for myself, right? Don't kill my kids. That's God's call on my life. Maybe go to church, add a little bit of Jesus to my life, maybe become a little bit more moral of a person. Or it's this, let me accumulate as much stuff as I can get because I think that'll make me feel fulfilled. Let me get more and more and more stuff. We live in such a consumeristic society culture that we somehow have bought into the narrative, the lie, that if I can get more, I'll be happy. Here's my question. How's that working out for you? Because for many of you, you've gotten more stuff, but it's also come with more bills. And it's come with more emptiness because you thought, once I get to this pinnacle, I'll be fulfilled. And you get there and you realize, I don't feel any better now than I did when I was down here. Because you're not following the primary calling. Well, Pastor, my dad did this. And his dad did this. Or my mom did this. And we're so loyal to the past 
And can I just tell you, that's what we call dysfunctional loyalty. Now, why do I call it dysfunctional loyalty? Because you're more loyal to it than it is to you. It's not benefiting you. It's not helping you. It's not changing your life. But I'm loyal to it. It's just what we do. I want to expose a whole lot of things this morning. Why? Because God lovingly has a call for your life that he wants you to follow. Jesus messed up their whole life when he said, come and follow me. He didn't say, go be more successful. He didn't say, go become a mover and a shaker and have no peace in your soul. He didn't say, attend church weekly and then come, but have this nagging feeling inside of you that there's something missing because there is the call of God. Now, the second part of that statement, again, I'm not going to focus on because I want to focus on the first part, the primary calling. But I also want to say this. There's, it is possible for you to stop following. Now, I'm not making a theological statement. I'm not saying that your salvation is not intact. Any, if you have any of those questions, talk to Pastor Chris because I'm leaving. <laughs> right? I'm not talking about that. But I will say this. When you live with that mindset of, I want to do just enough so I can still get into heaven, it's like saying, here's the line, pastor. Wait, here's the line. If, I, if you go over that, you're not right with God. Okay, well, let me get right about here and line up on it so that I don't fall over. That's not my concern this morning. My concern this morning is not, are you saved? As much as it is, are you following? Because G- Judas followed at one point but he stopped following. There were some who came and wanted to follow until they heard the cost of following and they turned away. My question is, doesn't matter if you've been saved for 20 years or 20 minutes, are you following? Are you following Jesus? Now, I also want to encourage you with this. When you're following and you fall, It's not the end of the world. Because when you're following and you fall, what do you do? You get back up and you keep following. His call was wide open to you. Come and follow me. And there's people who would say, they would say, you know what, Pastor, God just, he doesn't, he doesn't want your actions, he wants your heart. I would take that a step further and say God wants your heart because he knows if he has your heart, he'll also have your actions. He wants them both. If you're living your life this way, there's fulfillment, there's life, because you're doing what you were created to do, and that's follow Jesus. Well, what does following Jesus practically look like? What does is, what is following his ways look like? It's in his teaching. It's in the things that, in that Bible that we read, he actually wants us to live out those things. But he also wants us to following, follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to listen when the Holy Spirit starts putting his finger on that thing that we're resistant to change. That's a part of following him as well. Part of following him is following the people that God has put in your life as well, that God has literally put there to help cover and lead you spiritually and speak into your life. And you don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but if it lines up with God's word, you're called to follow. Come, follow Me, that's your primary calling. Are y'all with me? Your primary calling is not your job. 
It's not your, fam- your, fi- your family, excuse me. It's not all the things that flow out of you because those things should flow out of your primary calling. What are you saying? I love my family well because I'm following Jesus. I do my job well because I'm following Jesus. I treat my employees with fairness and justice because I'm following Jesus. How about this one? Listen, I show up to work on time because I'm following Jesus. I help people because I'm following Jesus, not the other way around. It's the motivation for all of these things. Why? Because we're following him. It's what he wants from us. We don't do the stuff to follow Jesus. We do the stuff because we're following Jesus. Now, Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, on a whim, left everything to respond to this call. Everything to respond to this this plan that God had for their life. They left it all. But I want to, for a moment, contrast their story with another young man who heard the exact same call. And the results are drastically different. Same book, same Jesus, same calling. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, this is what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, that's important, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now, let me pause there for a moment. There are certain people who will say, see, Jesus is saying he's not God. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. What Jesus, I believe what Jesus is saying was, you're not recognizing me as Messiah. You're not recognizing me as the Son of God. You're recognizing me as simply a teacher, and you think that you can become good based on following teachings. So that's the case. Only God is good. If I'm just a teacher, then why call me good? Only he's good. And Jesus knew what he was getting ready to do was to expose to this man what genuine goodness really is. Because it was not at all what the man thought. Verse 19, but the answer to your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Listen to the man's response. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, listen, I've done all of the stuff. I've done all the stuff. Jesus, I'm a good person. I follow the rules. You don't get it, Jesus. I'm on the serve team at OSC. Jesus, I went through freedom. I'm, I'm, let me tell you how Christian, how, how good of a person I am. I serve in the nursery. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> I do all the stuff, Jesus. Verse 21, looking at the man, I love this. I love this because even in our folly, Jesus looks at us this way. Look at, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. 
Essentially, this young man says, Lord, just give me another thing to do. Don't change my direction in life. Like, don't mess with what I've built my life on. Don't start messing around Jesus in areas that I don't want you to be. Just give me something else to do so that I know I'm a good person. And Jesus cut through all of the mess and went right to the heart of the matter and said, give up your God and make me your God. Follow me. Jesus, just, just give me some. Just add. Don't take away. Don't call me to go in a different direction. Just add something. Jesus, what do I have to do? A little church? Okay, God, to go to the synagogue, I can do that. A little exercise, a little bit of Jesus. Just make me a better person. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're missing it. I want it all. Come and follow me. Now, for those of you in here, God may not be calling you to go and sell everything and, and come and work at the church every day. For some of you, maybe he is. What is the call? The call is this. Follow me. See, in human eyes, from the human perspective, and even in culturally in that day and time, the, even the disciples, because I won't get into this for the sake of time, but they start asking Jesus, wait a minute. If this guy couldn't get it, can, any, can anybody get it? Because in their mindset, if you were young, good looking, and wealthy, God must be for you. God must be with you. You must have it all. Like, you're the favorite of God. And Jesus says, he may have it all together from the outside, but I know his heart. And he's not following me. He's not following me. Jesus' call is not complicated, church. It's very simple. Follow me. I never said it was easy. It's hard. There will be difficult moments but the call does not change. Come, follow me. He heard the same words. Now, who do you think regrets that decision today, though? As hard and as difficult as that decision was for him, do you think that he regrets that decision, or do you think Simon and Andrew regret that decision? Because he missed out on the opportunity to follow the greatest man who's ever lived. He had the opportunity to literally follow Jesus, the Son of God, to sleep next to him, to watch him eat, to watch him do miracles, to watch him speak the words that would literally change the world forever, and he gave it up for some stuff. For his temporary comfort. Versus Simon and Andrew who left it all and followed him with reckless abandonment to the plan that God had for their life. As they sit in heaven, they don't regret their decision at all. What am I saying? I'm saying something that I've heard Miss Michelle Lorenzo say many, many years, for probably 16 years now. I've heard her say this. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You don't know what's on the other side of your obedience, but equally you don't know what's on the other side of your disobedience. His call is simple, church. Follow me. Follow me. When you follow him, you find out who you really are. Now let me get into this because I'm just getting started. I'm joking. Some of y'all like, Pastor, that ain't funny. We don't know you. I don't know how y'all do things in Broussard, but we like to go to Piccadilly or wherever after this. 
These are the things that you need in order to follow Jesus. If you're going to respond to that call, of course we know that the only way that you can even do that is based on the blood that he shed for you on the cross. It's the sacrifice that he did. It's not your righteousness, it's his. But once you follow in this journey, you need these things. Number one, you need faith. You need faith. We have literally, as believers, Christians, have built our lives on the words of this one man who lived over 2,000 years ago. That takes faith. You have to have faith that he is who he says he is. So if he is who he says he is, and I trust that word, then guess what? That means that when he's saying something you disagree with, he hasn't changed. He's still the same God. It takes faith to believe him. Number two, it takes trust. (laughs) Boy, does it take trust to follow Jesus. Following him in those moments where things don't seem to make sense. Don't miss this. Look up here. Those moments when things don't make sense and you're asking yourself the question why. See, following Jesus is legitimately a journey. There will be those moments where everything is going good following Jesus. You wake up in the morning and you have Maverick City singing in your head, right? Your kids are obeying you. Come on. I mean, that's like better than angels singing. Your kids are listening. Your wife is acting right. Ladies, he's not being dumb. Those moments come in this journey. And those are great moments when you're praying and God answers prayer. How many of you remember when you first became a Christian and you, you would drive, you'd go to like Walmart or Target or something, and you'd be like, God, please give me a good parking spot. And then like the one right in the front opens up and you're like, Jesus is real. <laughs> right? You pull up and God's answering your prayers and everything is amazing. You're praying for your family members and they start getting saved. You start seeing God move and everything's amazing. It's the mountaintop of the journey. But what about the low points of the journey, the valley? Well, you haven't felt his presence, and you're wondering if he's still there. Well, you're reading your Bible, and it seems like you're just reading words on a page. When you come to church, and believe it or not, someone actually hurts your precious feelings. How dare they? What about those moments? Are you going to continue to follow? Because those moments take trust. What about the moments when the voice of the Holy Spirit comes to you, or maybe someone God's put in your life comes to you, and they they say, hey, that relationship that you have, that's not good for you. Are you in your prayer time, and the Holy Spirit says, I know she's your best friend in life, but she's a gossiper, and she's not following me. You need to end that relationship. Or you're a young man and God's saying, I want you to be sexually pure. What? I want you to be sexually pure. Which, by the way, is not just for young men. It's God's call for all of us to walk in sexual purity. Why? Because that's what he, he wants when we're following him. What do you do in those moments when I don't understand Jesus? I don't get it. I don't. You trust it takes trust. 
it takes trust. Last thing that it takes, and this one's big, and this is really the whole just of my message. It takes surrender. Surrender. Jesus, I don't understand, but I'll follow you. It takes your willingness to say, I don't agree. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how this is going to happen. This may even cross the way that I think. This may, let me mess with you a little bit. This may even cross my political agendas. This may cross the way that I look at other people. This may cross how I feel about this person. This may cause me to give up this thing that I'm holding on to so tightly that I don't want to let go of. But in that moment, what do you do? You surrender. You surrender. Jesus gave us the best example of that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus has been here for 33 years and he knows what's ahead of him. He knows why he came. But in a moment of weakness, like all of us have, he's there and he's on his knees and he's praying. And he gets so vulnerable and honest with God, which some of you need to do. And he says, Lord, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass, take it away from me. How many of you have been there? God, I don't want to do this. I don't know about that. I don't want to do that, Lord. I can't do that. Jesus, why are you asking this of me? Why do you want me to live this way? But nevertheless, not as I will. Your will be done. Your will be done. Following Jesus requires surrender, submission, and a postured heart that says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's not about the things that you do. And that's my concern for many of you who've been Christians for a while. You can get into the habit or get into the routine where all of a sudden you, your heart has stopped following him, but you're still doing all the stuff that you were doing, so it looks really good. Oswald Chambers says this, who wrote my utmost for his highest. He said, the greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service to him. It is never do-do with the Lord, but be-be, and he will do through you. Let me challenge some of you for a moment with this as well. Following Jesus, one of the things that you can know, I'm following Jesus and not living for the pleasure of people is when you're willing to rest. Because for some of us, we think that I have to do, I have to keep going, I have to grind, I have to do this, I'll rest when I die. Jesus rested. And when you're unwilling to rest, it just shows that you're living for the pleasure of everybody else or the pleasure of yourself instead of his pleasure. You'd be willing to take a moment of rest. Here's the real question. Who are you really doing this for? Don't miss this. Who are you really doing this for? Oz Guinness, in an incredible book he wrote called The Call, which I, I honestly has challenged a lot of this message, or challenged me to write this message. He says this, the question is not whether we have an audience, but which audience we have. You're either living 
for the pleasure of other people and everybody else and I have to make everyone happy and I can't say the wrong thing and I have to perform otherwise they'll think less of me or I'll lose them or I'm living to please myself and it's all about me and I got to get and I've got to do or are you living for him and his pleasure that's what following him looks like one day the one thing that I want to hear the most won't come from a single person in this room. The thing that I'm living my life to hear is when I get to heaven one day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest because I followed him. So as I'm closing, I want you to hear again this morning this clarion call from God that some of you need so desperately to hear. Come follow for the seasoned, mature believer. Don't trade in your primary calling for all the stuff. But if you're far away from God, hear that call as well. Come follow me. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but you're not following him. Today's your day. Maybe you've been in church for doing all of the stuff and serving him, but you know you're not right with him and you know you've never given him control of your life. Come follow me. Some of you have fallen down and nobody knows it, but he does. And his call to you this morning is not condemnation. His call to you this morning is, come on, get back up. Come follow me. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I want to pray for you this morning. Come. 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 That's his call. It's very simple follow me. Jesus told a religious leader, a man named Nicodemus, he said, you cannot enter into my kingdom. What is the kingdom? Those two words broken down. The king's dominion, the king's domain, his rulership, what he is Lord of. That's what we enter into when we follow him. Jesus said, you can't even see it unless you're first born again. Until you followed me. My spirit's come to live in you. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not following him. I'm far away from him. I'm not born again. But I want to be. And if he's making that ask of me, if he's calling to me, I want to respond. I want to show you how you can do that. It's as simple as ABC. We say it this way every, every time. A, you admit what? That you're a sinner. You get honest with yourself. There's sin in my life. I'm far away from him and I have not been following him. I've done it my way. And I see now that my way doesn't work. I want to do it his. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, for your sin. He paid the price for your sin. And C, you confess. Confess what? That he is now Lord of your life. When you're saying you're Lord, this is what you're saying. I'll follow. I'll follow. So when no one looking around, if that's you, and you say, Pastor, I want to be born again. I want to be right with God. I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to ask you in a count of three to simply lift up your hand, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all, I'm going to ask everyone in our church today to pray this prayer together. This is our prayer of surrender to him. If that's you, I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. The one two, 
three, if that's you, lift it up. You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to be born again today. Today, I want to follow Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? This is my moment. I want to follow him. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? This is my moment to follow Jesus. You can put him down. Thank you. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Church, maybe you didn't respond that first time. I want to give you one more opportunity. I didn't raise my hand, Pastor, but I want to. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven. And I'm committing my way to him. If you didn't lift your hand, lift it right now. One, two, three. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. You can put them now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Nothing magical about these words. It's the willingness of your heart to follow in his spirit that's going to do the work. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. So I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home, and I will follow you.